Happy Easter again. <laughs> no, but the beautiful part of Easter is that something that it's not just something we celebrate on one day. It's, it's an everyday reality for the believer. So we have a day to celebrate it, which is fun for everyone else to understand the importance of the Christian faith. But the reality for you and the reality for me is this is an everyday moment. We live in the resurrection daily. There's no way to separate it. And so I'm going to continue talking about the resurrection. Amen. So we started uh, two weeks ago in um, the upper room with the Lord in the Last Supper, the institution of Last Supper. Of course, last week we talked about the resurrection, um, specifically where Jesus was with his disciples when he appeared to them on the evening of the resurrection. But today, I, today and next week, I just want to list with you some things that I have found to be very interesting in the story of the resurrection and what it looks like as Jesus appears to particular people or calls those people out by name. And so we're going to talk today a little bit about Peter. Peter always has intrigued me. Um, I really like him a lot. Yes, I have not really seen The Chosen. I will confess that. But as I get into it, I've seen some for the men's gatherings, and it has really intrigued me as well. So I'll see as I look. But we're going to talk today about failure need not be final. I stole this quote directly from a person I respect, theologian Sinclair Ferguson. He heard a sermon when he was in his teens, and the gentleman that preached on it had this very same title. And as I was studying and listening and, and uh, gleaning from him, he used it for something. And some, some of the talk here that I'm about to give to you guys comes, is birthed from that. So it's pretty powerful stuff, a wonderful man. Um, but please pray with me. Jesus, we put ourselves under your authority and say, please teach us. Please instruct us. Please guide us. We agree with the prayers that have already been prayed today during our time of praise and to say, Holy Spirit, rush upon us. Truly, we can do nothing outside your power, Lord. And truly, we, can, we cannot understand forgiveness and mercy and grace unless you've revealed it to us. And so here we are, Lord. As we open your word, as we talk about eternal truths, I ask that you would please use me as your mouthpiece for your glory. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help this church to be more mature than you. We love you and we thank you. In your name, amen. You know what's one of the worst things in the world? Minus sin. All right? Yeah, we all get that. Regret. Yeah? Can you all just think of a time where you regret something? And automatically, a lot of times when I talk to people about that, your chin kind of drops. Your head kind of goes down. Because you knew that there was more that you could have done, more that you could have given, or a different answer or a different response. And it could be in any category of life, really. So I have, I have many regrets in um, sports, in the way that I played or didn't play. I have many regrets uh, in ministry with the gospel. Man, that was a moment I should have said something. I should have shared this at that moment. I should have been faithful. I felt the Lord's prompting, and I was nervous, and I didn't know how I was going to say it, and I didn't want to look like a fool or say something wrong, and I didn't do it. So as I look back, I, you know, there's a lot of those kind of feelings and, and fears. Um, I want to remind us today, based upon the resurrection of Christ and the way that he specifically calls out Peter, that failure is not final. And those feelings of regret and the, oh, I should have, or I would have, or I could have, those are... Those are done. Those are done. And the reality for us in Christ and his resurrection is that we have more opportunities to do better. Right? You can be forgiven. You can repent. And then you can move on. Right? And I ruined my whole sermon right there. 
James, did I do something with this, or is it just the, is it being funny? You know what? In the name of Jesus, this cable is going to work for us because I don't know how to do tech stuff, and James does a great job. So how about that? Let's just, let's just let it be done. Failure need not be final. Mark 16, if you want to turn your Bibles to Mark 16, if I need to, James, I'll use a handheld. You let me know, brother. I'm, I really don't care about it, but <clears throat> failure need not be final. Mark 16, we're going to start in verse 1. All right, Mark 16 in verse 1. You know what might help it? Let's do this. Mark 16, verse 1. This is Mark's account uh, of the resurrection. And so we have many different accounts, which is beautiful because I think it, it gives more of the variety. You know what? Doc, I got to do it. Happy birthday. I said it to you personally, but we love you too much, man. Bless you. Yeah. Apologize. I, I meant to do that when I started instead of stopping my sermon, but it's Dr. James's birthday today, friends. You can set money at his feet. You can order food for him. Whatever you'd like to do, he's worthy of it because he's a beautiful man. Happy birthday. Failure need not be final. Uh, the will I not prophetic word or encouragement that Jim brought to us today, I, I want to flesh out for you because I think they go in tandem. So here we go. Mark 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and, uh, and Salome bought, brought, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him, of course meaning Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, from, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. We talked last week about what, what faith looks like over fear. And there's so much of the biblical story where people respond in fear. And so much, I think, in our Christian life today where we have a response of, what should I do? How can I fix these things? What do I need to do? And I want to just try to adjust our thinking to say, fear is real, right? The anxieties, the nervousness, all those things, they are still there and they will be there. But what is the louder voice? Do you understand the Holy Spirit reminding you of who you are in your mind and your heart and the faith that we have and the hope that we have in the resurrection? Or do you give in to and be swayed by the fear that often cripples? So here's what happens. These ladies go to the tomb. They were nervous about this massive rock being rolled away, but in their astonishment, it was already rolled away for them. The hard work had been done. And this is what I want to highlight with you guys. Verse 7. It says, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter. Peter's a powerful man. There's a lot that took place in Peter's life. Peter was the first in a lot of things. He was the first to be called. He was the first to preach the Gentiles. 
He was the one that gave this massive sermon in Pentecost and the outpouring of things that took place. Um, he was the first to go to Cornelius' house and, in this, and, and be able to present the gospel. And um, here he is, the first to be called out as last. Go tell his disciples and Peter. When I was in college, I had some wonderful roommates. Loved these guys deeply, but they really knew how to get at you. <clears throat> so one day, uh, I was actually home from a break, and a number, of my, a number of my roommates were home from break as well because I had, had a uh, sporting event, so I couldn't travel home for it. We had some games over the weekend. And so I had to stay there on campus. So the campus is empty. We're there for some reason just doing our thing because a couple of them, other guys played sports. And so we're, we're there with an empty campus and no dorm, no food hall, whatever that, I forgot what it's called, cafe, whatever. So we had no food and we had no people, but we had each other. And we kind of uh, made the most of it. It was a blast. It was really a great time. We would often open up our window, which was on the second level of the building, and put a massive speaker in the window and turn it out of the window and then play music and go down because right out of our window was a sand volleyball pit. And we play some sand volleyball. Yeah! Guess who is not gifted at volleyball? I'm an average athlete. I can make up for things here and there, right? Um, but when you put me in sand, it's pretty much one of my biggest pet peeves in the world. It is in entirely too invasive. <laughs> it's everywhere. And so even just playing sand volleyball, like a week later, if I had a scratch on my head, I was like, how did it get in my, my scalp? Anyway, I don't like sand. I don't like glitter. <laughs> Two of my biggest, there you go. I know a couple of you, I've talked to you about this before as well, and we share that affinity. And I just, I can't do either. But you know, I tried to play volleyball. Well, they played. Another time they went out, they were strategizing now what the teams were going to look like. And they're all very competitive, athletic guys, whatever else. So we're playing volleyball. Uh, sorry, we're in the room, about to go play volleyball. We got the music going. We're excited. One of my, one of my roommates goes, hey, Scooter, you can play on this team. Uh, Chico was another guy. They had weird names. It's always nicknames with guys, right? Scooter and Chico, you guys can play here. Sean Chico, you guys can play here. Shaw, you can play here. Um, you play on that. Charles, his name is Jesse Charles. You play on this team. And um, I think that would be good. And I was sitting there. I was like, what in the world, guys? There's another person in this room. And they look at me and say, oh, uh, Dave, you can come too if you want. And I have never let live that down. I've never let them, so I always bring it back up. They always bring it back up as a joke. But the meaning was I was left out because I wasn't good enough is really what's going on. And amidst the roommates, you know, we can wrestle about it, and I'll physically just dominate them. But the difference there is they had an assumption of what was going to take place, and I was going to bring the game back a little bit. And they're ready to go for a two-on-two -two competitive sand volleyball game. And it's just not my jam, and that's totally fine. When I read this story, I think of that because that's the way I felt it. This story is not that. I really don't believe it. I think he's saying, go tell his disciples and Peter, and this is a means of relational reconciliation. This is the first step towards a remembrance of calling and identity. This is the first outreaching before Jesus meets with Peter on the beach, before the charcoal fire all over again, to say, I, I Make sure he's known and wanted. Make sure he knows the way I feel about him. This is important that Peter knows this. Make sure Simon Peter especially hears this. Right? And so it's these little one-liners that constantly have been getting me lately in the word of God. Go tell his disciples and Peter. And so the ladies come back with this beautiful 
declaration that he's alive. And he's telling, I want you guys to know this. And listen up, everybody. And you, Peter, he said specifically, the angel specifically said to you, these things, that he's alive, that he's well, right? And if you could just recall, I, I'd imagine the amount, the amount of regret that I feel like he would have had. In the stories that we have of Peter's denial, this is the last time he straight looked Jesus in the eyes. I'm sure he saw him on the cross and those kind of things. Jesus actually spoke to his disciples on the cross. But if you can go with me in the story, Jesus said he was going to deny, deny him. And he said, I will never do that. I'll go to my death before I do that. Of course, we know the story. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But one of the interesting things was P Peter did a lot in his denial that's just more than denying Christ. He took an oath, which, which Jesus tells us in the Beatitudes not to do, which is a strong statement, usually including divinity, like with God in it, to say that you, you are holding something. He took an oath that he didn't know that man. And then he says he, he even swore. So the, within his heart, all that's coming out is, is a straight, no, I would, that was not me, because he's scared. He feared the persecution that he would face. Right? You want me to just switch it over, James? Yeah, let's just go switch over to the handheld. Got you, brother. Sorry. It's not your, that's great, bro. It's technology. Can't have this on me. Here we go. Is that better? He, he knew what was happening in his mind and in his heart and all those kind of things. And, and these are things that are a little bit on the, I can't say this because the text does not say it, but we know he felt it. Because it does say this, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. You see, there's a difference between uh, Jesus', Jesus disciples, all of them were from Galilee primarily. And there's a different accent between where they were in Galilee and where they were at this time. So the accent gave him away. Okay? But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. In Luke's account, it says that he looked at Jesus, Jesus looked at him and he remembered, and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine the hot tears pouring down his face? The thing that made his heart throb, he just spoke against. The very person that could reach into the soul of who he was and knew everything about him. And you just recall, I'm, I would imagine in my mind flashbacks would start coming. The first time I met him in the boat when he asked to use my boat to preach. And then he took me a little bit deeper and throw my net overboard. And the haul that came in after a bleak night of, of working for nothing, just, just remembering who he is, and I couldn't even care about the haul because the man captivated me. And so to come in and say, Peter, come with me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. So now he has a calling. He's being renamed. He's the first person to recognize Jesus as Lord. And he says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood could not reveal these things to you. And then he says, on you I will build my church, the rock, and I'll give you the kingdom of heaven. All these things are the things that Peter knows. 
that Peter's had, the revelation that has been given to him, and in this moment of weakness, he stands up against those things. So then I imagine when the angel comes and he says, go tell disciples and Peter, when the women come back and they look at Peter in the eyes and they say, he's alive. All that pain, all that regret, all that shame and discontentment of not being able to just embrace him again and say, I'm sorry, Lord. After all you gave to me, after all you have transformed in my life, taking me from the dingy boat and the nasty nets and the smell of fish and putting upon me this aroma that is so different. I gave you nothing. And so to hear those words again is this first installment, I believe, of restoration and institution to say, you are my son. He had revelation and he knew it was taking place. This is so important because I believe... um, It's a recognition of what the Lord is reminding Peter to do. And so I want to bring three things to us today and encourage you that the the things that we have lived through and things we've done are not final. The life that we have in Jesus Christ is. So here's my first point. There is still hope. The faithfulness of the Lord is greater than our faithfulness. Our hope or our certain expectation of something being done is in the risen Lord. He is reminded that he has a place in Christ, that he's loved in Christ, that he is affirmed in the work that Jesus has already done. And so this statement automatically would bring to Peter a remembrance that the things that I've done are not the things that hold my life, but the things that Christ is doing for me. A lot of times in life, we define ourselves by the things that we've done. Our successes or our failures. Uh, The accounts that we have for retirement or we don't the degrees or the, the letters behind our names or not. And it's easy because that's the way culture does it. There's a hierarchy based upon what you've accomplished and things you've done. The reality here is though, the, the, your identity if you're in Christ Jesus only comes from his accomplished work applied to your life. And so the easy thing is to recall and refresh and, and replay in your mind the things that you wish you could have done differently. And in this instance with Peter, oh, it's deep. It is deep-seated. I wish I would have stood up, stood up strong for him. I wish I wouldn't have had the fears of persecution. I wish these things wouldn't have taken place and wouldn't have happened for me. Because now I'm living with that regret and I can't say anything to him anymore. And I'm sure we've all experienced that even in our own life, possibly with loved ones. <clears throat> but here I just want you to recognize there is still hope for Peter. He is called out and singled by name. He's the first to do many amongst the disciples. And now he's the first to be called out as the last. His disciples and Peter. His name is mentioned here because I believe the Lord is specifically wanting Peter to know the love that he has for him, the equipping that he has for him, the place that he has in his kingdom, and what he will still do. The second point is this there's still hope, and you are still wanted. You're still wanted. What happens? What is the lie you believe when you make an awful mistake? Ah, I'm, I'm trash now. I am a useless tool. I am an instrument that no longer can perform the duties of what the instrument was designed for. So in sports, I've done that a lot. You know, you miss a block and somebody behind you gets tackled because I was a lineman. Or it's a really crucial moment in the game and you're at bat and you just fail. 
Like these things I, you can't go back to do and they play on your mind, right? And it was, that's why I'm here. That was my place on the team and I didn't live up to the expectation of what I was required to do. And so I hold the weight of not being able to do what I was called to do. I'm not good enough. People don't want me. People don't need me. It would be better if I wasn't even on the team or in the church or at the job or in this marriage or whatever it may be. And lies creep in based upon fear, based upon regret, based upon failure. But I believe when Jesus calls him out and says, the disciples and Peter, he's proclaiming in the moment that you're still mine. You're still wanted. The restorative nature of Christ begins to creep into the lies that Peter was beginning to believe. That your life is not based upon the mistakes that you've done, but based upon the things that I do. And so if we this morning can can draw a line to recognize that the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel applied to our life, that Christ truly is risen from the dead, that there's a difference between the things that we often go back to in our failures and mistakes and the way we view ourselves compared to the way that Christ views us daily. So that we're not seen by the things that we have done wrongly or poorly or have failed in, but because of repentance and life in Jesus Christ, we're actually seen as an inheritor of God's goodness and grace. You're actually seen, according to Ephesians 2, 6, as one who is seated with Christ in the heavenly places. He doesn't just let anybody sit with him. He's on his throne, ruling and reigning. He only lets those that are in him be seated with him. And so the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that failures don't define you, and they're no longer final if you're in Christ. But the reality is we often see that for ourselves because we can't let go. You cannot get rid of the failures in your life. There's nothing you can do. You have to do, you have to allow, Christ has to do what you cannot do for yourself. And by believing in him and receiving his grace and mercy, he washes you from those things and brings you to the reality of knowing him. I love the text in Isaiah 6 where Isaiah is is seeing a vision and an angel comes down and, and he's seeing these things and he touches his coal with his lips and he says, I, I'm not worthy. And he begins to praise and says, basically, here I am, send me. Because, because with a touch of the coal on the lips, he says, your guilt is removed and your sins are atoned for. And there's this amazing part then where, where Isaiah basically says, here I am, send me. I will do anything for you. And it's not because he's guilty trying to work it off. It's very much the opposite. It's because he's experienced the mercy, the forgiveness, and the faithfulness of God. He did for Isaiah what Isaiah could not do for himself because he recognized he was amidst, he was unclean, he was amidst a people of unclean lips. And so the counter happens, his worship happens when he recognizes that God had done something for him rather than I have done enough to be in your presence. And so what I want to say to us today is, This reality is is still the same. You are still wanted. We often believe the lie that we are to be discarded or discredited because we're not good enough. And Christ is here to say, and Peter, I still want you. You still have a place with me. You're still mine. You're still the rock on which I will build. Those things don't go away because of your past failures. Actually, I believe you understand them more the calling I have and the place you have in my life because of what you've gone through. Um, 
I can remember times where I try to make uh, funny jokes. That maybe we've done this before. I'll speak for me, but I like to try to joke around with people and do things. I made a lot of funny jokes before because I, th I thought it was funny. And the reality is I watch the person's faces I'm talking to or in the group I'm in, eat a straight cutting them at the heart. Have you guys ever done that before? Maybe made, it, made a, like a sarcastic comment or a funny joke. and I thought it was funny. Everyone else is laughing around. But the person that I was just trying to joke around with, maybe it was one of these moments of failure or hardship for them, and it brought it all back. And I recognize it. And immediately by seeing their face, I try like a vacuum just to suck back my words, and it does not work. I try to save my foot-in-mouth experience, right? <clears throat> these are the kind of things where... I, I can't do anything to fix it. So, of course, I have a private conversation and, and repent and say, please forgive me. That was not my, I was just trying to make jokes, and I recognize what I've done to you. But it's that kind of a moment that I think I enter in where I understand where Peter is. Um, there's a student at school that I've been meeting with for a, long, for a long time, actually. I've known him for a while. He's a great young man, um, and he's going through a lot of hardship in life. And with his hands in his face, sitting across from me in a dimly lit classroom, just he and I talking, he goes, if you know the things that I've done, you would never be talking to me. If you would know the things that I do, and, ex and how I express them, and the anger that I have, you would never be talking to me. And I said, who are you to tell me who I can talk to and who I can't? Don't put your shame and guilt on me. The Lord did exactly the same thing for me. And if I can't show you compassion and grace and love, don't assume upon me that you're going to distance me from you now because this is a tangible example of what the gospel looks like. I'm going to walk with you through this because the Lord walks with me. I can't fix it. But don't tell me or push me away and tell me I can't do things because of the way you feel and the sin that you have in your life. This is what Christ does. He comes into the mess and he pulls you out of it to say there's something greater. And so if you can have a tangible in it, this is a tangible for you, right? But it's that same way when you feel that you are so deeply wrong and shameful of the things, you try to push people away to say, if you only knew what I had done. And here's a moment I think that Peter is beginning to hear, he's alive. Something's different. He still wants me. He called me by name again. I think it's important for us to hear our name be called in salvation the first time and to continually hear our name be called by the Savior's lips because the gospel is applied daily to your life, not just in that one moment. Yeah, praise the Lord. How do you view yourself? How do you view your past mistakes or your current sins? Are you defined by your regrets or your lies? Or because of what Christ has done and applied to your life, are you willing for him to pull you from that and place you on a firm foundation to say you're mine? I've called you in mission. That's my last point is here. You're still called. The man must be reunited with his Savior before the apostle can be reinstated in his functions. He had to be reunited with his Savior before he could be reinstated in his functions. This is the very beginning of his reinstatement. Right? Uh, repent and return. We all have sin issues. We all have failures. We all feel these things. It's a common thing because we are all human. And as a result of all being human, we are all in sin. And we all fall short of the glory of God. But we don't stay there. Can we say amen to that? 
All right. My question for you is, what do you remember? Say, Peter remembered. It says, it says here, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. What do you remember in these moments? He was convicted in that moment because he remembered the words of the Lord. And in Luke's account, not only did he remember, he saw Jesus' face. And I think for us, it's important for us, what are we remembering? Are we remembering the failures that we've gone through repeatedly in life? Are we remembering where we fall short? Are we remembering just how we're not good enough? Are we remembering the frustrations that we have? Or are we remembering what Christ has done and who he is that he's risen and he's risen indeed? Do we remember the power of the Holy Spirit applied to our lives, that it transforms and that it convicts and that from repentance we return to the Lord and go forward in what he's called us to do? Do we remember the failures that we have or remember the call that he has upon our life? And I think these are very, very important things to remember. Your calling from the Lord needs to be weightier than the sin that you've gone through or the fear that you have or the regret that you may carry. See yourself in the calling that the Lord has for you, not the failure that we've gone through in life. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 to walk in a manner worthy of our calling to which you've been called. And I think that as we truly understand these truths for us and we recognize that the risen Lord has more of an agenda for our life than we could even imagine that we could create for ourselves, it's far more important to understand that he wants to know that he loves you. He wants you to know that he loves you. This morning, um, is, is always, every morning is kind of an interesting morning. So as I was kind of finalizing some preparations for the sermon and stuff, my children were having a wonderful time making forts. That wonderful time slowly disintegrated into something else. Uh, because it's fort building, man. You got to make your own. You got to get your, you've got to make it look so great. It's got to be able to stand up for longer than five seconds. We got blankets over couches, so we got to clean up when we get home. We still got forts all over the living room, the family room. Um, but we started arguing. Dad stepped in a little bit here. And one of my kids said to me, you don't care about my fort at all. <laughs> oh. And this was after I had other kids in different places for a little time out time. And we were just talking, had a little family discussion. And one of the, one of the kids said, you don't care about my fort at all. <clears throat> Let me translate that another way. You don't love me the way that I want you to love me. Your affections and desires towards me are not the things that I'm craving. Now, the beautiful part was I was preparing my sermon, so I, after we calmed down and he had, he had a little timeout stuff, he came into the kitchen, and I showed him what I was writing, and we read the computer screen together and said, I want to remind you of something. Um, I love you. I don't care about your fort. I care about you. I care about your heart. I care about your character. I care about who you are and the way you talk and the way you communicate to me and to your family. And the words you use are not kind and are not good. And so um, we went through this and I say, I want you to know that there's hope. Do you know what hope means? And we talked about having a certainty in the Lord and those kind of things. And I said, I want you. And I call you my son. And I love you. And so it's this reinstatement of, you can go wrong and you can call me whatever you want to call me, but the, the thing that will hold you is who you are from the Father. And I want to remind you this morning, our church meeting has very much been about this, when it's from the Lord. He will do it, right? What does he say? 
And the beauty is even the song that we began this morning. Thank you, Joe, for your preparation. We didn't even talk. It's from the Lord, I believe. But all those things that, that, you know, the devil tries to bring in, the lies that come against you, you are called by the Father. And your life is different because you're in the risen Christ. And so the things that we often hold, the things we try to say, or the things that come against us and distract our minds, and we begin to believe our own truths, quiet those things and repent of those before the Lord and just receive his love again because you have hope in him. This is our last slide here. Or second to last. Because of our risen Lord, we have hope. Taking this from Peter to us now. We are wanted and we are called. The beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that in your repentance, in your acceptance of what Christ has done as a free gift for you, by grace through faith, you have a new life. You're forgiven. And so the thing that we have, the responsibility we have is to truly believe that and to be able to release the things that we hold on to in the past, the failures that we've had, and to live in the newness of life that it is now. So open up your hands and let it go. Let the regret go. Let the failures go. Let the insecurities that you have go. And and in the risen Lord and the hope that we have in the gospel, receive that he calls you by name, that you have a hope, that you're wanted as his son or his daughter, and that you're called. You have a purpose. You have a place. You have a place in his family and in his kingdom and in his mission, just like Peter did. We don't live with the regret and the pain of failure, but in the joy of our risen Lord. Imagine the outcome of this story if it was different. Jesus wouldn't have risen from the dead. Not only would our lives look entirely different, but what hope would Peter have? Our hope, friends, is far greater than just a moment. It's a lifetime. It's actually an eternity, right? My last thing is this for you. Failure need not be final because Jesus is risen. I just want to read this for you really quick and honor our time today. Where's my bookmark? This is, this is uh, the beloved apostle Peter. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It's 1 Peter 4.12-19. through 19. Something transformed Peter's life. He denied him three times, and he felt, you, you can hear the, the hot, bitter tears rolling down his cheeks. But he called him out by name and said, him, Peter, tell Peter. It's important that Peter hears this message. Then he brought him to a beach, and we know the story. He says, do you love me? Of course, we go through the threefold way of res- restoration and repentance. And then we come to Acts, and I'm not going to keep preaching all this stuff, but something transforms him entirely. We're now like a lion. He's preaching boldly to say, this Christ whom you crucified. And the outpouring of the Spirit happens and then half of the book of Acts is just the miraculous that the Lord does through Peter at at the formation of the church. And this book then is given to us as a gift to see the transformative power of the gospel. Read 1 Peter. 
Second Peter. Read, read them all. Because the beauty is he went from what we described here and the Lord restored and reinvigorated and reignited him again. And you cannot take that away from a man or a woman. His heart was transformed. His mind was transformed. His whole passion was transformed. And he was set on purpose because he remembered that he has hope in the risen Jesus Christ. Right? That he's wanted and that he's called. There is something the Lord wants him to do, and he did it with all that he had. And now going from being scared of a teenage girl and suffering bodily persecution to writing to the church and saying, you will be persecuted. And in your persecution, your suffering, you will be, glory be to God for it. It's the, the whole story is flipped. And so I just want you guys to know, failure is not final because Jesus is risen. We have hope in a risen Jesus Christ. And as you go from here and throughout this week, consider the beauty and the hope of the gospel upon your life. And know that you're forgiven in Jesus. And you're set on mission because you're called by his name, called by the Father to engage in kingdom work. Please let me pray for you. Jesus, we are astonished perpetually at your amazing mercy and grace. And thank you so much that not only is your work complete in the sense of the, what you did on the cross and rising from the dead, but you, you, have, you have empowered us with your very spirit. And so like Peter, Lord, we take these examples and we say, forgive us for when we feel disjoined from you or disconnected or far away. Because if we truly believe in you and have confessed these things, you never leave us nor forsake us. Remind us again as your church and as your people, Lord, what you've called us to, who we are and what you want us to do. That we have hope in you, Jesus, as you are the risen Lord seated on the throne. That you have called us and that we're wanted by you. Bless the church family as they go and may they know the hope of the gospel applied in their life. In your name we pray, amen. Praise Jesus. Know the call of the Father, the rule of the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit as you go through this week. Bless you, church family. We'll see you on Sunday.